Um. The Paradise Center for the Arts is a vibrant cultural and artistic gathering spot in historic downtown Faribault. The Paradise is committed to offering high-quality visual and performing art opportunities for Faribault and our region. Regular events spotlight some of the best artists and musicians in our area and throughout Minnesota and the Upper Midwest. Our beautifully restored facility includes art galleries, classrooms, clay and textile labs, a gift shop and rehearsal spaces, in addition to a 300-seat auditorium. Visit ParadiseCenterForTheArts.org for a full schedule of events or call our box office at 507-332-7372. Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination, with your host Paula Granquist, is brought to you by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts. And now, Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. Good morning, this is Paula Granquist, and you're tuned in to Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. Thanks so much for listening to the show and helping us celebrate all things creating and stories. We are going to tune our imaginations together today, and I've got a great story for you. I want to start just with a little introduction. My mind likes to make connections, and so this week, here are the three things I was making connections with. I read an article from NPR called A Former Navy SEAL Went to College at 52. His insight led to a new class. That was the title. Imagine being 30 years older than the students in your college classes. He had an impressive career as a member of the Naval Special Warfare Development Group, and NPR had talked to him as a freshman and now as a senior. And the one thing he would tell his younger self is, you've got a lot to learn. He also learned that literature had been the connective tissue between humans for thousands of years, and he sees that humanity as the through line of life. And here was the key, the quote that was in the piece that really caught my attention. Humans and their choices, good or bad, are more common than we realize. I love that he saw that insight, and I think that those connections are really important to us. If you want to know more, you can check it out. His new class that he, he developed as a result of all the, that learning was a look at the U.S.-Afghanistan withdrawal, and he learned from that that if you've got to talk to people, that you do have to talk to people. That means people from all sides, even when it's hard, even when you think you don't want to hear what they want to tell you. Also this week, I went to Content Bookstore and with an event with author Julie Schumacher, whose latest book is The English Experience, the last in her academic mishap collection. And this time, Professor Jason Fitger is supervising a group of students heading abroad to London. And you can imagine all the, the antics that happen. The story is funny and witty and shows us how important human connection is. The story and the conversation at the bookstore brought me back, of course, to my experiences traveling in Spain. And I suppose I was like some of those American tourist kids, right? I was the traveler who wanted fun experiences and the learner who wanted to understand the language and the culture, but didn't realize how far I had to go to achieve that goal. I had a lot to learn about the world. And now I'm the mother that had sent her son on a trip to Europe this summer. And I know that he had fun, and I assume he learned a lot about life. I'm still waiting for him to process all of that and kind of do some reflection on that experience and those weeks that he was immersed in that world, because I don't think I've heard all of his stories and insights. And also sitting there, I realized I'm the more mature woman who can see that those teachers who chaperone student trips are the most amazing people on the planet. They make 
help us to make those stories, memories, and lasting connections. And the last thing that happened to me that I was trying to figure out, this has a connection somewhere, was that I was walking back downtown towards the library, and I found a rock, and a little rock just sitting on a post. And that rock had the word choice written in black marker on that polished stone. And I wondered if I was supposed to pick it up or just admire it. It was just a small little rock. And my walking companion reminded me that I had a choice. And it seemed like the first test of many that that stone will present for me. So how to connect these experiences from this week? My mind likes to discover how things make sense. And I think reading and choosing to read are one common thread. I always want to bring more reading and stories into my world and into your world. I'm reminded, my kids, this, this, I thought about this this week, it had this time that they called Dear Time at School, which was drop everything and read time. We could learn a lot from the teachers and kids that take the time out of their days to read. Imagine if we each took a portion of our visual media time and used it to enter a written story. I believe reading will get us through whatever we're going on in this world or going through. We can make honest and heartfelt and soul-binding connections with other humans through reading. This may be the best way to discover what you've got to learn about the world. Books help us feel less lonely because we can discover that other people have felt and experienced the same things. And you have to be open to making connections, even if we're unsure or uncomfortable exploring that character or that topic or that place. And that's something that is really important to remember is to do it anyway. So I think reading is always a choice. I want to thank all the authors in the world. They all enter their imaginations with courage to bring out to life the stories that help us make these connections. I say that authors and librarians and booksellers and teachers and book lovers and readers and book club members are my superheroes. And that's why I'm so excited to welcome to Art Zany Radio, author Gretchen Anthony. Gretchen Anthony is going to be in town in Northfield to talk about her recent book, The Book Haters Book Club, and preview for us on Arts Any Radio, her presentation at the Friends and Foundation of the Northfield Public Library annual meeting, a talk entitled, Great Stories Lead to Great Stories, How Real Life Informs My Fiction. Gretchen Anthony is the author of The Kids Are Gonna Ask, a recipient of the 2021 Alex Award from the American Library Association. Her debut novel, Evergreen Tidings, from the Baumgartners, was a Midwestern Connections pick and a Best Books pick by Amazon Book Bob, Pop Sugar, and the New York Post, and author J. Ryan Stradall, who was just here, it feels like it was just a couple weeks ago, it was probably a couple months ago, called her latest book, The Book Haters Book Club, The Feel Good Book of the Year. And The Book Haters Book Club, which all you need to know is that it takes the right book to turn a book hater into a book lover. This is the story of Over the Rainbow Bookshop, and I am so excited to welcome Gretchen Anthony to Arts Any Radio. Welcome, Gretchen. Thank you for having me. What a lovely introduction. Oh, thank you. Well, I, I do. I love to find the way things connect. And I think that's probably something that you did in this book, too, because there's so many, so much life in this little community of the bookstore in the neighborhood where all things happen in this book. And I have a sense because there's so many book recommendations in this this book, in addition to all the family and uh, community pieces, um, you really, it's it's a love letter to everybody who loves books. And I wondered if, um, 
how, how you knew that you loved books, you know, when you were growing up, how did you know that that was going to be the place where you spent your time? <laughs> That's such a great question. I have, well, I grew up in a uh, family that cherished books and encouraged it. My brother once told the story that the only excuse for getting out of household chores like mowing the lawn or helping around the house was if you were on the couch reading a book. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm i a master procrastinator, so that could have been <laughs> that could have been my early introduction. But I had distinct, I grew up in Richfield, uh, Minnesota, a suburb of the Twin Cities, and I have distinct memories of spending my son summers biking to the Southdale Public Library, um, part of the Hennepin County um, library system, and it was my happy place. Mm. It really was. It was. Oh, we didn't have, this was back in the 70s, we didn't have air conditioning at the time, but atmospherically, everything about the library brought me joy because I would it would be summer I'd, and there was a long hill between there and my house and I would be hot and sweaty and I would walk into the building and they had air conditioning. <laughs> and to this day, I think there's something magical that they put in the water in the drinking fountains because <laughs> even the water tasted great. And I could spend hours upon hours upon hours finding my little happy place and reading books and, you know, watching movies. And so it was it was ingrained. It, I think it was ingrained in me from the very beginning. And part of it, I'll tell you, I want to tell you a story that your introduction reminded me of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because even though I give my parents and my upbringing a lot of credit for make, turning me into a book lover, I think it's also something that you're just innately drawn to or born with. I think it's part of your personality you know what your what your brain is willing to zoom in on and and grab a hold of to relax or to engage because our oldest we have three boys and two are in college now so you know they're all pretty much well on their way and our oldest so we used to get calls from his elementary school teachers because they say they would say we can't get the books out of his hands like we have to take <laughs> books away because he's not in the rest of the class and so we we had to deal with that for our oldest and then two years later for our middle he is just he's not a reader I mean we eventually found books that he was willing to read but when he was in first grade our elementary school had this great program called they called it dot reading and Mm. they asked for parent volunteers every Tuesday I believe it was to come into the classroom and spend 45 minutes um, as a one-on-one reading mentor because the dots were like in colors and you would graduate from blue to red and red to green and things like that and so everybody had their own individual level that they were reading at and our job as a, pa- as a parent volunteer was to listen to the kid read out loud and help them with um, you know words they might be stuck on or finding context and for me it was the absolute best connection for how to get um, involved in my kids education like how to volunteer for the schools how to give back 
it was such a natural fit for me. And I, so I stepped up and I did it for Karsten, my, my middle kid, his class. Um, and about <laughs> a month or six weeks in, he came to me and he said, I want you to quit. Oh, no. <laughs> I said, what? You have to quit dot reading. And I was like, but I love it. And it's such an important program. And he said, I basically, I, he, he wasn't quite this articulate, but at, you know, at seven or however we, old he was in first grade. But he basically told me that school was his place. He didn't want mom in school. School was his place. And so I was presented with a choice where I thought, do I honor my kid or do I do something that I know is meaningful for the teachers and for the students? And ultimately, I chose to honor my kid. If school was his place, you know, I did that. And then I did volunteer for my third, my third kid and, um, in the same program, and he let me stay. And the teachers all gave me a razzing. They said, are you going to have to quit again? <laughs> but, but it was the, it, it was not a choice that I ever would have anticipated being faced with. Yeah, and that's a really fascinating story. I had a very similar experience, and we could go off on uh, teach volunteering at schools. Uh, but and and I worked in the library, and my kids had mixed feelings about that. Uh, and I think that uh, what's interesting to me is that actually it was your middle son who you mentioned wasn't a reader who actually provided one of those recommendations in this book. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. So it comes full circle. He, he comes full circle, and and the you know the interesting thing about that was he knew that reading was important to me, and that's why he recommended the book because Aww. he knew me well enough. I think he was in third grade at the time. He knew me well enough to know that I would enjoy that book, and he recommended it to me because his teacher had read it to them aloud in class, and so you know. He's not entirely turned off to books, but I do think there is something innate in us to what sort of story we gravitate, gravitate to, because every human being gravitates to story. For him, it just takes a different form. Absolutely. And, yeah. I think so, that, that, yeah, I want to talk about the book because folks may not have had a chance to read it yet. I am just, I want to tell everybody about this book. It is a book with character voices that are memorable and lovable. And I thought what was interesting, one, the title, so we'll get to that. But I understand from your end notes that this book took a long time to sort of center and get, you know, land on the page for you. And you ended up with the Book Haters Book Club, which is a newsletter that Elliot writes. He's one of the, the owners of the Over the Rainbow bookstore. And uh, I thought it was really a wonderful note that you had in the back because I think I forget what you had happened. Exploding. What was it? Um, oh, something about you. You were your, your ideas were all um, a mess. Oh, you didn't want your yeah. you were pitching all kinds of things. So it was sewer lines blowing up and <laughs> Yeah, when I first envisioned this book, I knew I wanted to write a story about a community coming together and a place that felt natural where that would happen. And for the same reasons that we just talked about, um, for me, that would naturally either be a library or a bookstore. And um, the idea of creating a bookshop um, 
appealed to me because as writers we get to I we get to create our ideal mm-hmm. <laughs> and um so it gave me the opportunity to create this ideal bookstore and the idea was there but then what happens what has to what has to drive the story forward and my first thought that I pitched to my <laughs> that I pitched to my editor was that the inciting incident at the beginning was that in this neighborhood in Minneapolis it takes place in Lynn Lake on the block where the bookstore is located the sewer line explodes <laughs> and <laughs> literally covers the entire neighborhood and I won't say the word in sewage mm-hmm. and um and for some reason the bookshop is oddly spared and so it becomes this place of refuge for the community even more so than it was for its regulars and my I sent it to my editor, and she said, well, I love the concept of this being a refuge and a place for community. Do you really want your readers to have to read 300 pages about stinky sewage? <laughs> I thought, no. <laughs> so, but, you know, I also, I will say the backdrop to when that idea came to mind was that I was um, conceiving of this book during... Um, the summer of 2020, mm, right after the, the murder of George Floyd oh, and right. the, the absolute destruction of the neighborhoods and just watching as a Minnesotan and someone who was raised in the Twin Cities, watching people's homes and people's businesses and people's livelihoods get destroyed out of anger and also because there were a lot of people who came in from other areas and out of state just as agitators. And it just felt so cruel and disheartening because the people who are already vulnerable and angry, then their lives were affected in more tangible ways on top of that. And so as, you know, as a, as a proud Minnesotan and, Twin Cities resident, I just, my heart ached, and we were in the middle of COVID, and the first draft of this book, not only did it start as (laughs) an sewage explosion, um, (laughs) and you can insert the word, um, but then I went on to write the first draft, and I think I finished the first draft in 2021 spring of 2021 because I oh yeah uh, um, I took a break and I went back and read it and what I discovered was that everyone was sick I was killing off my main um, my main subjects my main characters and I had to write to my editor and say I think I was you can't read this this isn't the book I Mm. think I was working out some sort of trauma and that's you know that's one of the wonders of writing too is we we just work things out on the page and we hope that we can help readers work things out but this was not this was definitely my personal therapy on the page and so I took a huge step back and rewrote the book so I can guarantee to all your readers if, or all your listeners if you haven't read it it is a happy book but I can I can echo that <laughs> it's start off that way yeah it's a very um just uplifting and and just it just takes you into that world of loving books but also I think what was really interesting and this is probably how you landed on the book haters book club that's a newsletter that Elliot writes who works at the store and uh, he he, I I just really admire that um, way that that 
you acknowledge that there are some people who aren't comfortable going into bookstores or don't know what to read next. And Elliot kind of takes that on as a, a challenge to help people find those books that are going to, you know, light them up and get them excited and, and or teach them something or be the right book at the right moment. Yeah, yeah. And that was, I did that innately, but I remember having a conversation with my agent and it came out in this conversation where we both agreed that even as a reader, um, we all have places that we wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable. You know, if, Mm -hmm. if you're a, you know, if you love romance, um, you might not be comfortable going into a real highbrow bookstore or, you know, you walk into a science fiction bookstore and, you know, you might immediately feel as if you stand out. And so we thought if we're going to play, create a place for communities, let, how, let's, how do we figure out how to overcome that? And, and Elliot in the book even alludes to that. He says, we don't have to be such snobs. We don't have to be, you know, mm-hmm. book snobs. I think he says something like, if the drink isn't to your liking, just toss it out and get another one. You don't have to throw <laughs> it in somebody's face, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah, I felt, I felt strongly about creating a space where everyone, everyone was, was could truly find a place there. But what I love is that, so it's not just all happy and everything works great. There, there are a lot of obstacles here in this, in this book. It centers on bookstore partners, Irma and Elliot, and then Irma's daughters, Bree and Lainey, and then Elliot's partner, Tom. And I'm curious, each of them just, like they're all so different, but so um, you just you know you're rooting for them as as they, you you go through the story, and I wonder which one of those characters came first, and how did you create such distinct voices? I mean, especially the you know the difference between Bree and Lainey, the sisters, they're just you know polar opposites. You, they love each other, but mm-hmm. man, they're just really on different you know uh, wavelengths. Lainey's bold and says her mind and has retorts and uh, just funny lines and and snarkiness maybe a little. Yeah. Uh, Bree's a little more you know hardworking, serious. Just can't figure out this romance thing. How to you know how to flirt and it's so it's just it was it's just there's so much to love about the book. So tell us about writing those and getting into those characters well that's just life isn't it i mean we just we attract we attract all sorts and i always um even as a reader i bulk at books that are a little bit too perfect i don't like a perfect bow as an ending Mm -hmm. i like things to be a little bit messy and a little bit complicated because that's like i said that's just life and um but to answer your question about the characters Lainey came first, uh-huh. without a doubt. And I think the reason for that is, um, at, according to my husband, who was reading an early copy of the book, um, he said, "This Lainey is the most like you character oh. you have ever written. <laughs> <laughs> I remember he was reading it in bed, and he like I heard the book hit his, hit his lap, and I thought, uh-oh, what did I, <laughs> what did I do? And he said, this is so much like you. And there is a lot like, you know, Elaine is a lot like me, but not entirely like me. She's very much, um, she's lively and she has all the comebacks that I wish I would have. <laughs> I have a lot of comebacks, but I don't, I don't have all the right ones. And um, she, 
uh, yeah, she is a little bit snarky and she uses humor as a defense mechanism, which I've been known to do as I've um, grown. And um, so she came to me very early. And there's a lot about the um, path that she uh, took in life that is vaguely familiar to my own. But then Brie, um, Brie is, what I have learned about Writers are observers, right? We naturally mm-hmm. just have our eye out and we watch people and we sort of listen to what they say and we think about them afterwards. And um, what I have always come to recognize is that you can't have two Laneys be good friends because they're like, you know, they're like the wrong poles of magnets. They'll, they'll rub <laughs> off against each other. You have to have just enough where they they find solace in each other. But for every extreme in one person, there needs to be a polar opposite in order for them to fit. And so Brie naturally sprang from Lainey because all of Lainey's confidence, Brie has to feel um, uh, unsafe, you know, you know, Brini, uh, uh, Laney and Brie compensate for each other is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And so writing Brie was like writing an inverse um, of, of um, Laney. And then Tom, Tom was just, I don't know, he's just all heart. I don't <laughs> know where he came from, but he sure was. He sure did touch my heart a lot. I have to say that Tom, because he's in mourning, he lost his partner about six months before the book starts, and he's deeply in mourning. A lot of that um, my mom shared with me. Mm. She, my, you know, after we lost my dad about um, 17 years ago now, but she, um, she was very open with me. I said, I, I'm writing this um, partner who's in mourning, and yeah, for example, there's a line about um, Tom goes to a grief support group and the grief support leader says, don't expect anyone who's um, experiencing a significant loss in their life to remember anything that happened yesterday or that they need to do tomorrow. They'll remember everything from when life was good. They'll remember things from 20, 30 years ago as if they happened yesterday, but don't expect them to remember that they need to file a very important piece of paperwork or that they have a doctor's appointment next week because those things don't matter when you feel like you've just lost your life. Mm -hmm. That, That was from my mom, and I just, I think even in a way that sentiment informed so much of Tom. Yeah, you're right. There's, uh, and you have to have those balance points in books. And, and this one does a great job with that range of, you know, the, the real life sadness that happens, but then the humor that comes through. And that's what makes it like a real place. Like, I feel like there is an over the rainbow bookstore and I want to go there because (laughs) (laughs) there's so much to love about that place and real people, you know, that, that you, you really get invested in their stories. And so that's, that's your job at craft. This this beautiful story. And uh, for folks that are just tuning in, I'm talking with Gretchen Anthony, and we're talking about her book, The Book Haters Book Club, which is her latest book. And she's coming to Northfield. I think I forgot to mention the event time. So let's do that now. It is on Sunday, September 24th at 2pm. That's at the Northfield Public Library. 
It's an event for the Friends and Foundation of the Northfield Public Library. It's their annual meeting, which starts at 2, and then Gretchen will do, be doing a presentation at 2.30. And it is uh, open to everybody. So I come learn about the library, it, you know, if you love the library, this is a great, great organization to uh, get to know. And uh, you're giving a talk entitled Great Stories Lead to Great Stories, How Real Life Informs My Fiction. Can't wait to hear what you have to say. And and some of that, you know, just like what your mother told you is uh, really just, I mean, that's a real detail that really makes his grief feel uh, like it's lived and, and an experience that someone else has gone through. And that's um, such a fabulous thing that you've added to the story. But I don't want people to oh, think it, it's just about love and books. It's so funny, and I have to share with our listeners, I, I was laughing out loud reading this book. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and you know, there's, and there's so many zingers in here that I mean, we couldn't possibly, but one of my favorite, just to give people a sample, was that um, the sisters, Lena and Brie, are talking about um, just, you know, Lena's been gone for a long time and out of, of the day-to-day life of Irma, the mother, and Bree has been doing everything at the bookstore and just, you know, feels like she's on top of everything. But Lena comes in thinking she might have a Lainey. say. Yeah. Lainey, did I say, I'm sorry, that was a typo. Well, it's a very Minnesota name and I respect the insertion. So uh, go ahead, you okay. can call her Lena. I think that was, <laughs> that was a typing error in my question. So <laughs> my apologies. <laughs> Gosh, no did, problem. I love it. How did that no happen? <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, but then, so Bria is, is is upset that her sister thinks she has a say, and she says this line: "All Lainey had to do was send a birthday card, and her mom practically farted." Thank you, glitter. <laughs> just, <laughs> I mean, it's just a, that is such a brilliant line. <laughs> it, and so, it, there's so much more of that in here. Humor can be really hard to write, and. Um, you mentioned, you know, just those comebacks that, that uh, Lainey has and those just uh, even Tom has a few that, you know, kind of biting lines and that, there's a lot of great stuff in here. So how do you work through that and get that so that that reads right and that other people are going to also laugh at those moments? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm not sure I know how to answer it. Um does it come well, from character? Um, I'm thinking but, maybe that's where. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it, though, in terms of um, the, the problem with humor is scale. I think mm. it's either not enough or it's too much, and it's um, the reason humor is so difficult to write is because you got to hit it on the bullseye every time for it to work and it's going to work differently with some things are going to work with some people and some things aren't going to work with others and you got to find that um, Venn diagram of what's going to work for the majority and um, so yeah there I've had readers who just don't appreciate my sense of humor they think I'm making fun of the characters and that's not true I love my characters I love my characters but that's the nature of you know um, of we as human beings, we all interpret things differently. But I think the wonder for me, or the 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 piece that works best for me, is that um, my editor is very good at number one. She's from New York, and the thing about <laughs> being a Minnesota writer is that Minnesotans are so quirky; they're lovable. Just we're 
Oh, odd. <laughs> that is wonderful. But in some ways, that uh, there's often things that we only understand, and then there's the Fargo the movie thing. You know, where yes. we're where it's there's a risk of making fun of us mm-hmm. for our for our midwestern midwesternisms, and so. It's very helpful to have an editor who is not of my people um, <laughs> because she will either tell me I don't get it or she'll say You've, you're on the verge of getting silly. <laughs> often she often says, okay, this is silly or this is too wacky, you know, scale it back a little bit. And then um, I, have, I have a wonderful writing partner um, who named Josh Molling, who writes thrillers. And if you're into thrillers, his are great. Um, and he just had a new one come out, shameless plug. Um, I'm sure they're at content books. He, uh, he often tells me that I'm pulling my punches, and he will highlight that. He'll say, you're pulling the punch. Don't give up so soon. And so uh, much of you know what I think is funny is made better by my my editors and and early readers. I think that's really good advice for any writer to be able to think about, you know, people outside that world can reflect differently. And, uh, you know, New Yorkers have their own (laughs) sense too. Right. Of the world. Right. And uh, And she's originally from Maine, which I think even makes it even better. (laughs) (laughs) That's so perfect. (laughs) And, and it's, it's also, I think you, you give us some hints because it is a very Minnesotan book. And if you, you don't have to know Minnesota to love the book or the characters, but if you do, there are so many, I just, I want to applaud you for this because there's so many little, I don't know what I called them, like little memory drops is what I called them in the story Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, you'll, you, you know, she, because it ranges from 1979, which is when um, Irma and uh, Elliot first met, to when the bookstore opens in 1980, and then goes up to the present day. So there's that whole era of time to to play with, I guess. And uh, yeah. little things like Dayton's comes up, and you know, it just makes you go, <laughs> oh yes. And the uh, conference room that they meet in when they're talking about the sale of the bookstore comes is the Lake Minnetonka conference room, and you've got little <laughs> slips in there about the Brady bunch or um, orange polyester culottes the mall of america <laughs> shaka khan i mean it just was so much awesomeness i and, and, and i grew up in that era too so 